You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. back. Thank you for logging into. Thank you for your servers. I am Thaddeus Preston, aka Nick Way. And joining me once again to chop it up on the tech topics of the day is Gary Guthrie. How we doing, bro? Doing good. Doing good. Good, good. Right, right. Staying alive. Yeah, please. <laughs> and not not trying to destroy your face. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yes. No, I haven't done that uh, in the last two weeks. So I, right, I consider well. that good. Okay, well... <laughs> this is our mostly weekly rants about the type topics from a liberty perspective. Yeah, got tongue tied there. Uh, this and other podcasts are brought to you by the MLGA network of podcasts. Let's make liberty great again, fam. And with no further ado, let's get into it. Topic number one Will the latest AI kill coding? So, Please, I hope so. No, I hope not. I need to, I need an excuse to retire. (laughs) So like this week, apparently the world was all, was set ablaze by the final, uh, by finally the beta release uh, of the open AI API to their newest language model, the GPT-3. Uh, the GPT-3 was trained on hundreds of billions of words. It has 175 billion hyperparameters. It is the largest language model ever to be created, described in their paper um, that they actually released back in May. Um, they opened this up to kind of private beta, and the things that this particular model is doing that is even more impressive than its last uh, model, the well, not very, um, not very creatively named GPT two. Um, <laughs> this thing is dope. I've seen this thing uh, generate code. Um, people have basically taken the API and literally put in uh, natural language kind of prompts. In the and ha- I've seen it create create like an Instagram app, um, because as well as well as the, uh, the the huge corpus of documentation that it used, it crawled the web. They gave it billions of millions of books. They gave it all kinds of like nat- uh, natural language data. They gave it un on um unlabeled data. They gave it labeled data. I mean, they fed the hell out of this. I think. Based on the paper, I think they it was like 56 terabytes um, of data that they used to train this model. And that is what allows it to like literally generate source code. Um, and I've seen a lot of demonstrations about what it's capable of. Um, it, it, it was, uh, this is kind of a, a big deal. Um, it, began as a very small language model in the early days. And now, obviously, with the OpenAI's deal um, 
that it signed with Microsoft late last year um, to use Azure as their backbone. That allows this enormous model to do incredible things. So incredible that I took an, I took, I read this article. It's in the show notes from, um, uh, what's the site's name? It is Toward Data Science. And the author actually has had an opportunity to take this for a test drive. And he literally, with the with two prompts, he literally got this weird article. Basically, um, it's it, it basically discusses a split in the Methodist church between the opposing denominations, one who is opposed to gay marriage and one who is open to gay marriage. It wrote it, it typed out this whole little like mini excerpt, kind of like something you would read in like the AP. And uh, I put I posted it in our Discord group. And Ryan and and Cam were like confused by it, but found it believable. But there was something off about it. But it was just accurate enough and just well written enough that upon second read or third read, they were like, "I could see that happening." And it it was completely generated by this language model. Hmm. Yeah, and and on, what was it? They they said twelve percent of people correctly identified that it was written by an AI and 88% were fooled. Fooled, yes. I don't, now, th- I don't know, after, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is after fine tuning, right? So, okay, you're right. You're right, so this, this is, so there's these things called, there's zero shot, one shot, um, and, um, and mini shot kind of like training methods for this. Um, so they said like the more they were able to fine tune it, so when they would like few shot, train it i.e. gave it some prompts which is what this article did um it would you know generate this stuff the more fine-tuned it got the better it got and um this is kind of nuts yeah yeah i wonder how much of this though i mean you know when i see these numbers i I wonder how much of this is a testament to the quality of the output of this thing and how much of it is a testament to how much we have dumbed ourselves down as human beings That's a as very well, you know, question. Yeah. Um, um, we do read in sound bites now in tweets. Yeah. And my reading comprehension is, you know, my reading comprehension, even prior to the social media age was terrible because of my public school education. But I can especially think with a lot of the fools and what fools believe now on the internet that, yeah, so this was kind of a concern back when they first started talking about um, GPT-2. Um, and, as, and then, of course, they were already prototyping scaling up to the GPT-3 model. They, I, I want to say it was GPT-2 that OpenAI said that they did not want to release um, because it would the possible implications of of this getting in the wrong hands could cause a huge proliferation of fake news. And so they actually yeah. held back the GPT-2 language model. But I guess two kids from like you, grad students from university, like reverse engineered or something like that. So they, they <laughs> so it didn't stay, it didn't stay secret for long. Um, 
So the one thing about the model that is also very impressive is the fact that a matter is if it, it could if it could be adopted um, um, or if it could be improved upon, there are areas to improve upon it. Um, it's um, it's a um, unilateral transformer, I guess. So it only reads in straight lines. So it can't it can't get context from a word. So like the good example I saw was the word bank. Bank has multiple meanings, and mm-hmm. if you see it in a sentence, the context for the uh, it can hone in on the context of its usage by not only reading the sentence all the way through in the word preceding bank, but after the word bank. But I guess this model doesn't doesn't go backwards. It doesn't it doesn't use a BERT, which is basically bidirectional encoder recurrent transformer network or something stupid like that. So they, but they actually discussed this in their paper where they're just like, well, you know, that's an area of, of, of greater, greater use. But the big thing that this is very important for is like generalization of meta learning um, and basically um, unsupervised or, uh, you know, sort of unprompted learning. Um, it, not unprompted in the sense that, but like it has, it, 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 it's not prompted with a couple of examples and then it goes at it. You just basically say, Hey, I need you to multiply 1 million by 6,744 and give me the output of that. And I also need you to find me the square root of that number. If you put the, if you type that in, it, uh, the better as time moves on, it'll be able to spit back what you want. Um, as opposed to having to prompt it with examples, um, which is that um, few shot um, to many shot approach to training these things. Right. But it's a very exciting thing. You couple this with the fact that there's the transcoder uh, a, a machine learning algorithm that Facebook released that would transform, uh, translate between um, different programming languages. And you then combine that with, I mean, hell, you could either go back as, you can go back to like Word2Vec, which was like an older um, algorithm for this stuff. And you can see in the future that this becomes very, very, this will become a very, very effective way for doing software development. It will definitely bolster the expansion of no code platforms, which there are, there are a growing number. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see it muscling in on it. I honestly, though, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical that it will ever hit a point where it can just, takeover you know i I was Mm -mm. i was joking earlier about um you know let it let it take over so i can quit you know but (laughs) in all reality you know there's always going to be some nuance there's always going to be some level of uh of uh uninterpreted or misinterpreted business logic or business requirement you know that always happens and i don't think you're ever going to see um, th- those kinds of translations taken over correctly and, and reliably by a system like this. I think, you know, I think we're going to be limited more towards um, v- extremely well-defined workflows or data flows, but things that are open to interpretation, things that are open, again, context, you know, kind of different meaning of the word context here, but we're going to still have a a need for people to go in and inter, you know, interject and correct. Because humans suck and they are terrible at giving requirements. I mean, this is is absolutely true. 
Yeah. This, this, no, no, no. Trust me. I don't. I am not under any illusion that this will take over for that type of thing. There will always need to be the human translator, the human interpretation that has to happen. But here's the deal. The low level crap you need to do, like describe a layout, layout business logic. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Automate, automate, uh, automate data flows. Uh, build me a database with these parameters. Mo- uh, build me, build, build me the hooks necessary to go uh, to populate said database. And uh, you will right. have numerous AI agents or ML agents well, doing this and, type of work. And, and where will- I, where I really see a lot of value in that is if it has the ability to, you know, not just build these things, but build them in a structured way, where they can correctly speak with each other and, and be efficient about it, you know, and eliminate those kinds of, you know, slop coding that humans always do. I don't care how good of a coder you are. You're a slop coder because you're a human. Yeah. Your first pass is always dirty, right? Okay. Got it to work. Now, then you start the refactoring process. Okay. Next. (laughs) <laughs> right how, how do i uh, abstract this um i do this a lot i should probably write mm, a function and or class that his, whose job it is to handle this how do i handle how do i understand the interfaces between what i'm trying to do versus what i'm when i'm writing this thing to do to then come back to my main program okay gpt is called the generative pre-trained transformer I've been looking for that all day. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just kind of popped out at me. Um, yeah, of course, written by OpenAI, which was founded by Elon Musk and some rich Silicon Valley types. Um, but no, you're right. It's it's the, the low-level mundane types of stuff, the mom-and-pop type of stuff um, is going to be easily – you can easily automate this away. But yeah, you're definitely going to – it will allow you to become more of a software architect where you will then build um, the, the scaffolding gets built. Even some of the logic, uh, the business logic and the um, database interfacing gets written. But then you start kind of writing the glue code necessary to make it all run. And then you have your advent with gener- uh, gener- generative adversarial networks that will allow you to build models for bug testing and unit testing. I think... There is no excuse in the future for a hundred man shop to build literally like a Google. Yeah. I mean, at scale today, not Google 20 years ago, but Google today. Right. The, the only thing you need honestly at that point is real estate and servers. But even yep. then you may not even need that with the advent of like cloud infrastructure being proliferating everywhere. Um, I can see it. It, it was kind of like that story we discussed with the, um, what was that stupid Google project that was kind of like Pinterest? And they like just oh, had a model built I it. forget what it's called. Yeah, I yeah. forgot what it's called. I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't pursue it any further after that. And I was like, God, oh, that was cool. But it was, it was the, the proof of concept of the fact that you could literally build a Pinterest from like a model, mm-hmm. right? You know, right. Yeah, yeah, and probably a team of like 10 dudes or persons, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> chicks can be dudes too. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I am, I am open-minded. I am open-minded, but no, it's, it's, I, I find this, um, fascinating. I find this 
ID, I find that the uh, IDEs, um, integrated development environments of the future, um, are going to have much, much more of this. And it's going to allow schlubs like me who know just enough to be dangerous to write truly decent enough code to interface with the world. And, I just, I, I really, I really hope that we don't lose sight of the need for, uh, you know, some of the coding discipline that we, we lose whenever we get some of these tools, uh, in place, you know, um, visual studio, all the different IDEs that you have out there that, you know, have all the IntelliSense and all of this stuff that's made it really easy to, you know, get into doing some rapid coding and, and find a lot of efficiencies has also injected a lot of laziness and a lot of lack of discipline. And we end up, as you know, with stuff out there that, okay, yeah, it works, but it doesn't work. It's not maintainable really because, yes, that's the key. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm dealing with a situation right now where, okay, yeah, in our development environment, we don't, we don't carry the load that we do in production, you know, and I'm seeing stuff come through that, oh yeah, okay, it works because I've created these database structures, whatever, not a single index on any of these tables that are going to get populated with hundreds of thousands of records once we roll it live, mm. you know, and I raise the question with the developer. It's like, did you think about this or what? Oh, I didn't know. I just made it work. And, you know, hopefully the businesses that employ these types of technologies don't lose that, that sense of need to keep your finger on that pulse. Because as soon as you do, you're ending up digging your grave. I mean, yeah. from a coding standpoint. Yeah, you learn that over as time moves on. Um, you 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 become almost radical about structure. You become radical about le uh, memory leaks. You become radical about any sort of vulnerabilities you've left. Um, yeah, it's it it takes time. Um, it takes getting burnt a couple times too. But some you would hope to not find that in production because no one likes <laughs> refactoring um, when it's working and you have a bunch of other projects to do, and yep. no one likes bug fixing. Um, to a certain extent, uh, if, if it's one of the bugs that aren't, isn't going to manifest itself to do anything dangerous or damaging, but it's just a best practice that goes, that makes the code, as you said, maintainable long-term. Yep. Then, then yeah. Uh, yeah. People, people are lazy because I'm one of them. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm a data engineer. I don't particularly give a damn if it doesn't work. Uh, I don't give a damn if it, um, isn't elegant. It just needs to work because the data is what I need. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the back end to do. Now I'm we're, we're learning very we're learning very uh, harsh lessons now, and now we're having the right tools to be like, yeah, we should probably have not architected it this way and relied on this proprietary technology for PubSub from NI that is starting to burn us. Um, yeah. So we. And so now you're just like, all right, well, we, we should probably get back to the basics and, you know, TCP is a thing and we should probably learn it and we should probably build hooks into our controls and sensors that allow us to circumvent these, um, these, uh, these, these, these lab view constructs that have started to kind of bite us in the bat. But that's yep. a longer discussion for another day. Absolutely. Um, this is very, 
I'm kind of excited by it. And I was kind of shocked about how excited people were with it. And then when I start seeing demonstrations where people are like literally describing a layout and then like the AI is like building the layout in JavaScript, I was just like, okay, this, this is what I've been talking about for the past year. And, yep. Yeah. And they're, they're doing it. All right. Well, other, yeah, other than that, uh, the stories will get, uh, um, you know, progressively worse as we move on. Um, but this one's not as bad. Um, topic two, um, network upgrade or else. Um, so this is a story that kind of started from like uh, Android police and then The Verge picked it up. And it's basically AT&T tells customers to buy new phones because their old ones will stop working dot, dot, dot in 2022. So this uh. is kind of a terrible move on AT&T. I'm glad to see that AT&T is still the most terrible carrier the world has ever known. Um, I'm glad I left them. God, how long has it been? It's been 10 years since I was with AT&T. Um, I had an iPhone through them, 3GS, workhorse phone. I had exactly the same phone Yeah, on AT&T. Yeah. And it worked amazing in California. It worked like shite out here. God, (laughs) I couldn't stand it. Um, thank God I traveled to California a lot. Um, so here's what happened, right? So, um, the uh, most terrible um, mobile phone carrier on the planet um, basically sent out emails to its customers saying that um, their phone um, is not going to be compatible with their network and that they needed to replace it to continue receiving service. Now, within the email, it wasn't exactly, and it was very specific. Um, It was sending out like the last four of your device number, I assume your IMEI, and it, you know, it's a very official email, and it basically is telling people like, "Yo, your phone's gonna stop working." But it doesn't. Re- it didn't really specify that, you know, in 2022 it'll stop working. So this is all part of a larger um, upgrade to what they call HD Voice. Uh, all carriers have been doing this for the last decade. Um, I, I, I remember going back to forums and reading um, fierce wireless articles from 2012 about you know T-Mobile shutting off 2G and 3G towers. But basically, they want to move everybody to voice over LTE, which is a pretty standard um, technology. Um, so the good news about this is, like, if you bought a phone in the last, like, five years, then this is not an issue. It's just um, um, really a over-the-air update will, get, will probably enable these capabilities. Or you may have to go into the phone menu itself and cut on literally uh, – 4G LTE voice or LTE voice or HD voice or whatever the carriers or the phone manufacturer who you use, however they implement it. Um, So the bad news was like they even sent this out to people who had phones that were um, were actually in no risk of being cut off in 2022. Um, So the question is, how did they get there? so there, you know, the tech press is pretty sensational anti-business, but you know, with good reason on this one. This was pretty, this was pretty crappy to do. Um, but also, no offense, guys, if you still have a phone that is heavily reliant on AT and T's three G network, you are either living in a deeply rural area, or you're committing criminal activity and you have burners. I mean. There is no phone made in the last five years, actually really in the last eight years, that does not have this capability built in or an ability to turn this capability on. 
Qualcomm and all the major modem manufacturers and chip manufacturers have been building this crap into their devices for almost a decade. So this was not as big a deal as it led out to be. And here, newsflash, everyone's going to be cutting off 3G towers by the end of 2022. Um, everyone. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of a sensationalism. But also, yeah, it's AT&T doing terrible AT&T stuff. Do you think they that they, they did that on purpose to oh, cause yeah. a hype? Or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I I am normally the biggest defender of of of, of capitalist enterprises, but AT and T is just terrible. Um, and <laughs> and yeah, no, no. They they were. Why don't you tell us how you really sales. feel? <laughs> Dude, I have, it's like this. AT and T. I have. It's been. You, you can tell it's ten years, and I'm still the scorn scorned lover. AT&T was awful here. Awful. And um, I remember AT&T did not turn on the um, the final, the HSPA plus five, uh, basically faster 3G and LTE or 3G until like the day I got rid of my, uh, my iPhone um, 3GS and I switched over to an Android um, and I switched to Verizon. Um, and then literally within a week of me switching to Verizon, they turned on an LTE tower in my podunk little suburb. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, and to me, I was just like, you, you guys are the worst. <laughs> well, uh, if it, it never if it, worked, man. And it never <laughs> worked. And I work on a military base. And so, like, phone service on the military base as a whole is terrible. But it was especially terrible. I had Edge all the time. I only had 3G in the city. Um, or when I went to California. So literally most of the time I go to California, I was more happy for the fact that my phone would actually work at 3G speeds than, you know, going to California. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I could well, go on for days about how terrible If, if it it's was. any consolation, when I did finally get off of my, uh, my uh, 3G iPhone and moved to a Windows phone, which, by the way, you know, pour one out for Windows Phone, even though it was dead years and years ago. I actually really kind of enjoyed that interface. It was a really well thought out and really well done. Yeah, with the tiles. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, no, no, no. It I, was good. I, I, I was, I crapped all over it until I went to Africa, and my like cousin had a, a Windows Phone, and I'm like, I found it quite robust. And it was the, great. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. And for those of you who don't understand what we mean by the tiles. Um, go to go to the start menu on Windows 10 of your computer. That's basically it's kind of that way. Yeah, it's kind of like that, um, which was ahead of its time because Android was and uh, iOS were still well. Hell, they're still grids of of icons. Yep. Um, but no, it was very innovative interface. I'm, I feel kind of bad that they just didn't build uh, Android on top under a uh, build on top of Android with that interface. That interface was impressive. Yeah, it um, was. It really was. And yeah. it was when once you bought into it, you know, once your brain kind of, and it didn't take long, but once your brain got itself wrapped around it, you went, oh my God, this is like the, why didn't someone else think of this? This is so intuitive. Yeah. You know, but when I switched over to it, one of the things that I did was it, it, there was some weird thing that happened at the time because it was 
my iPhone was on my brother's account. I opened my own account. We switched things over and something got lost in the mix. And you had to have a data plan on a smartphone to have a smartphone on their network. Yeah. That was like their thing. And I'm like, well, I don't want a data plan. I just want to be on Wi-Fi. And they're like, well, too bad. So sad. You have to have data. Well, anyways, during this whole transfer over, somehow the data plan got dropped and I had no data plan on my Windows phone for about six months. And it was magnificent. I downloaded maps for my navigation. I was, Wi-Fi is everywhere, you know? Yeah, so, it, so I ended up with a pretty cheap AT&T plan for about six months while they didn't know that I didn't have a data plan. It was kind of cool. So anyway, I mean, if it's any consolation, I kind of, I ripped them off a little bit for that. So yeah, well, good, good, because <laughs> they deserve it because they're terrible. No. And um, it's funny too. Like, so AT&T does a lot of terrible things. So like the, the big thing is um, when I was reading through a lot of T-Mobile forums. So T-Mobile has always been the carrier that basically says, Hey man, you can bring your own device if you want to. Um, so the, I assume this will still be in effect even after the uh, impl full implementation of um, voice over LTE. But AT&T still has essentially a, a white and a blacklist. So you can't just bring any phone onto their network. Mm. And yeah. that is always killing. Because even Verizon moved off of that and became a network you could, you, if you bought your own phone, and if it had the necessary LTE um, uh, release releases on uh, on it, basically, you know, you just have to do some dig, dig deep and look at the modem makeup of the phone you were buying if you were buying something internationally you could bring it on the network um and so this is going to be this transition is going to i i could i can see at&t really screwing up this transition um also people can be pretty curmudgeon and i suspect in two years which that's what we're looking at by the end of 2022 because you know they said February of 2022 is when they'll now it'll be a long, it'll take a, it'll take a long time after that, particularly for these rural areas. Um, you're gonna have some some um, seasoned citizen bring in a flip phone or a old uh, Android phone and says that my voice I can't make phone calls anymore. Yep. And you're just gonna deal with that. I mean, you had to deal with that when people move, when we moved over to digital. Um, or for over the air broadcasts, it happened in the two G era when the, you know there there are no there are little to no two G towers anywhere. But here's the deal: four G is pretty good. When I drove to Colorado, I never lost LTE service. Even mm -hmm. when I was going, even when I I hit Raton Pass, I had at least HSPA plus service. So this won't be that big of an issue. There'll be disruption, but all I got to say is AT&T is terrible and people who still have these phones in 2022, shame on you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think we beat up on AT&T enough and um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of really got into the rabbit hole here to figure out like, well, you know, what is it going to be on? Are they going to keep on the HSPA plus and looking back at forums, um, T-Mobile, all these companies have been cutting off 3G, 3G towers for years. So I'm surprised anyone even notices now. Um, I mean, except for T-Mobile's very terrible SMS service. It's 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 
that is truly awful. That's what I complain about the most. Literally, <laughs> if you want to text me, use third-party apps like WhatsApp, Google Voice, or you know, Facebook Messenger, because text messages seem never to come through on time. All right, public service announcement done. <laughs> Third and final topic: Twitter and Facebook become targets in the Trump uh, in the Trump Biden campaign battle. So basically, I told y'all. I mean, I'm, when I say y'all, I mean Twitter and Facebook and all social media companies. When you chose a side in the ideological battle that we are now sitting in culturally, you will weaken your right ideological flank. Surprise, you've weakened your right ideological flank by what they've, con- what they've, what they've been conducting for the last two, three years. And the left has never liked anything bigger than, you know, a mom and pop shop. But then, you know, in this COVID age, you don't seem to care about those either. Um, so social media has become the target of the dueling attack ads, uh, ca- uh, campaign ads being waged online by the sitting president and his election rival. It's, it's ironic because they're probably like trash talking Twitter and Facebook on Twitter and Facebook. This is of this course. is kind of like yeah. the this is the funniest part. It's somebody came up with said this back in the day. If me and you, Gary, are old enough to remember um, the People versus Microsoft. Yep. Um, and the the very brief that was written and the indictment that was written was probably written on Microsoft Word uh, when they yeah. <laughs> when they attempted to drag them through the mud. And here's the secret, and, and, and this is in light of the fact that on Wednesday, as we record this, they're going to drag the heads of the, and the CEOs up the Capitol Hill to browbeat them and, and do the antitrust BS that they always do. In the history of antitrust, ladies and gentlemen, very rarely has the U.S. government ever won in court. They've always settled out of court. Um, so Facebook, Twitter, and all these guys brought this on themselves. If you know you, you pick the dog in this hunt, and both of them bit you, and it, you know the other one bit you too, it's it's just this is this is bad. But here's the deal: they're probably on these platforms, you know, yelling at each other, yelling at each other about a Facebook is responsible for why Trump is in office. B Trump is saying, "Screw you, Facebook, you're biased." They can't win. No, and I, and, and I'm not just talking about. Facebook, I'm talking about Twitter and Google. And no, Amazon. well, they're, they're all in a tough spot. I mean, think about it. I mean, they have to do something because if they don't do something or whether it's taking a side or, you know, doing the Facebook, taking steps to squash false news or whatever it is, if or they don't do speech or problematic speech or whatever, you know, um, if they don't take action on it, then the loud and crazy people create a a problem for them. Right. So they have to kind of weigh, okay, what's, it's almost as if they have to weigh out what is going to give us the least amount of problems, because no matter what we do, we're going to have these problems, right? They're going to go to Capitol Hill and they're going to bend the knee and say, Please regulate us. That's well, that's, the that's, only way, that's 
that's the only way to that's the only way this stops. Well, they, they, then they can shift the blame onto onto the regulation, right? And, and plus, I mean, as you and I have talked about, Zuckerberg, that's all he wants because that's what gives him the most amount of power in his spot. The history of antitrust and business interests as they tie up with the political class has always been regulatory capture. And yep. regulatory capture is nothing more than the regulators going to the entities that they wish to regulate to give them suggestions on how they want to be regulated. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It's been the history of this. I don't, and, and people who always yell, because people on the right and the left yell about this, and it's just like, it's never worked. I had an argument with a guy in a bar about a month ago. This is like, an antitrust has never worked. Now, he had a pretty good retort, and it's just like, well, you sound like a socialist who says that socialism has never worked. It's just like, yeah, all the reason to not do either. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was, I was, and so, yeah, but, but this was a long time coming. Um, as we discussed a couple episodes back, or four, five episodes back, like, there's a reason why all these lawsuits that uh, people have been filing in California – they haven't won them. And I think these, these, these Verge articles triumphantly say, I don't know why these right-wingers keep suing. It's just like it's not about them winning at this point, though they do want to win some of these. It's the fact that this creates case law and right. precedent. Yeah. Um, and it gives states attorneys general, which is basically what's happening, uh, the firepower necessary to do it. No state attorney general in red or blue state um, – is 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 not going to play up to the populists left or right about how big and terrible Facebook is, how big and terrible social media is as a whole. You you know, part of G uh, G D what is it the G D P R G P R D whatever regulations were more you know they hide and they cloak it behind eh, you know privacy is important, but ultimately this is a populist play. It's always been a populist play for more regulations, even though it sounds good to have control of your data, and ultimately you probably should. But the, there were there were going to probably be market mechanisms that made this easier. But now we have this very heavy-handed and almost global regulation. And here's the deal: right, these companies can handle it. Small companies can't. That's right. And this is what's going to happen when Section 230 gets neutered, and ultimately. I mean, they've been trying at this for a while. Like I had a, I had a light, a little long discussion and I had to spit some hot fire and school some folks the other night about what net neutrality was about. They went about yeah. the whole, it's fascism. This is like, yes, in a way, but here's what it was ultimately about. It was not about the, what the pretty little, you, uh, was it BBC video with the cute little chick with the British, with the British accent was talking about. It was literally a dispute between two carriers that the populace got a hold of, got a hold of, or actually a content provider and a carrier, and then they figured it out. By the time they'd figured it out, like there were already these marches toward like net neutrality and enforcing Title II regulations on people, and it's just like, and you see it over and over again. I've been in, I've been paying attention to this industry because I'm a historic history buff for a long time. We tried this with AT and T, we tried it. When we tried to um, make AT&T a natural monopoly, we then came back 60 years later and like, you guys suck. Or, well, probably more, um, 50 years later, you guys suck. You need to break up. They broke up. They became, they became all these mini bells. 
you know, somehow we had this golden age of competition. We didn't. We had no investment in infrastructure. And then they implemented the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which, you know, was supposed to foster regulation. What it ultimately did is it gave cable a monopoly over their pipes, but basically told carriers that uh, who were dealing with copper, eh, you have to open up your last mile. You have to open up your clicks or your collective local exchanges to random people. Hence, they didn't invest in it for a decade. Hence, why wireline communication in this country when it comes to the old telcos is crap. This is a long way of saying this is a terrible idea. When we, when, and Wednesday, you're going to hear some stupid people try to question some of our best and brightest um, about <laughs> why they're like evil and the monopoly and why they well suck. which is those are always entertaining anyway no I mean. i'm gonna enjoy um i don't know if this is a house committee if it's a house committee then i get to see the very sexy ocasio cortez say something dumb um <laughs> but if i but if it's it, it but it might be a senate hearing too but then you get to see you know not to not no offense to people who listen to this who are older but you get to see some geriatric senators ask very dumb questions yep <laughs> so all right well Anything else, my friend, we want to discuss in a tech edition? I think we could probably wait on the Intel story until next time because that has huge implications. You know, for those who don't know, Intel possibly hinted at like getting out of the chip fab game. Mm. And interesting. Um, yeah, this, this comes on the heels of um, this comes on the heels of them like getting out of like the mobile chip game last year. Um, I, I think this might be the. We might be seeing the beginning of the end of the road for um, semi, uh, a semiconductor company out based out of the United States. I mean, at least a manufacturer. There's tons of semiconductor companies in the United States, but they do more design than anything. So, but now, we'll what, save that for another day. And what was what uh, what was it that I heard? I, I, I heard something in passing, and it was like, are, are we back in 1998 again with Microsoft? Because someone was, it had to do with the bundling of Edge. Was it Microsoft Edge? Oh, you're talking about Slack. Is that uh, it? No, so so Slack is suing Microsoft in Europe for bundling okay, Teams that's with it. Windows. Teams, um, that's it. Yeah, no, yes. we're, we're going back to the future here. See, so here's the deal. There is a growing body of evidence, though I still think it's not worthy of, of legislation and or like any sort of courtroom action of what we had feared for many years that Microsoft, Google, and Amazon are looking at the apps that are hosted on their services and copying them. <laughs> I mean, uh. duh. <laughs> so, right um but yeah that's what slack's doing right now so like the we're, it's funny we're back to the 90s literally yeah that's what i was i when i when i heard it i'm like what in the hell? yeah why why we know what happened last time yeah and yeah it's the, a it's the, an antitrust it's an antitrust lawsuit from slack technologies Mm-hmm. That they're unfairly bundling its rival workplace messaging tool teams with its office suite. Well, <sighs> unfairly. But here's the deal. Like, okay, I, I get where they're coming from. Because right now, um, Slack is, well, Slack is actually very, very fat and heavy right now. I, I At first, Slack was amazing, but it's become very overweight. Um, teams is garbage, right? But it's integrated. 
and it's increasingly integrated with a lot of Microsoft Office products. Yeah. And eventually it's not going to suck. Because here's the deal. Google has a has some sort has a Slack-like team service. Here's a de- God, all right, we're going to go over, but I don't care. You were you ever <laughs> did you ever hear something called Google Wave? Google Wave? No. Yes. So never heard you know, of it. Google <laughs> Wave was basically imagine um Google Docs, Google Hangouts, Google Messages, and email combined into one service. Basically Slack. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's, or, you know, and, and it, was, it was cool. So, like, let's say I sent you a wave message and we we're on a thread. Back then, if I were to send you a thread, I would basically start it out and I would hit, and then basically, on your screen, you would then see that this, I have created a thread, I have addressed it to you, and then you would see me typing in real time. You could then do, um, you could inlay Word uh, attachments to Word documents, videos, you could in- inlay um, um, uh, voice messages, you could actually bring up a communication channel between the two, you could play games, you could send mail between each other where you basically or you would then bring someone else into the thread and stuff you could then go off on side threads and have conversations in real time typing or talking or whatever it was a really it was a way ahead of its time um this is one of the many things google had that it just kind of screwed over and like fondled away um but that's also it's it's slack it's literally slack google is literally the micros the xerox park of technology companies when it comes to the technologies that they've allowed that they've fostered in-house and that they have allowed to just kind of go like be taken over by another someone that is not in their purview um so yeah this is that's what google wave was google wave was basically slack circa 2008 okay yeah <laughs> so yeah google's so. always google's always done this it's yeah you i would probably have to send you i'll just put it in the show notes and you can look at it it was really it was a really weird product. I was part of kind of one of the beta testers for it, and um, I did see its potential. But yeah, Slack pretty much takes that over now. So yeah, yeah, I saw that, and I was just like, okay, well, I, we know how this is going to end. I, at least if it were to happen here, I don't know if it, you know, happening in Europe, it's going to make a difference. But eh. yeah. It was kind of it was kind of weird. Wow, it was like two thousand and nine. Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I everyone's it's all it's two thousand twenty, man. So that's all I can say about that. Yeah. So, so it's yeah. really really. I don't know. Back to the future, man. Back to the future. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, well, we'll see than, where it goes. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see where it goes. But we'll no. I, I'm trust me. I think in the in the coming weeks and months as we do episodes there'll probably be antitrust updates um and i'm definitely curious to see what these uh stupid meetings or these stupid hearings are gonna produce sooner yep. rather than later dumb all right well <laughs> um that's it for this episode ladies and gentlemen we've we've sussed on and geeked out enough uh anything you want to plug gary before we drop yeah uh i was fortunate enough to kind of uh guest on the make liberty great again podcast last week and looking forward to seeing that come out so hopefully uh if you want to hear me uh rant and rave and uh wax 
non-eloquently with Ryan and Cam. Uh, tune into that podcast. Uh, I think either the next one or the one after is the one. We may be a couple backed up in the can right now, but uh, it was a lot of fun and look forward to seeing how it comes out. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, shortly, well, hopefully right after your episode drops, my episode will drop where I appeared on our flagship podcast, Make Liberty Great Again with Cam. And we discussed all kinds of stuff. And it was really, really fun, really, really deep. Um, We really kind of discussed like cultural aspects of what seems to be going on with all the unrest. And, you know, it's always a good conversation when I can talk to you know, talk to the producers, talk to these, talk to, you know, Cam and Ryan and stuff because they have really, um, really deep insights and they're, you know, pretty good guys to talk to, uh, particularly if I wanted to get stuff off my chest, which was the reason I decided to like put me on the schedule. I got, I got Tish to say, you know, <laughs> um, and, um, as well as, uh, I've been making, uh, uh, seems like weekly appearances on the, uh, Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Um, those guys are real fun, and you know you get to you get to see me again wax eloquent about te- technology subjects and liberty subjects um, that uh, you know I am very very passionate about. But with no further ado, thank you guys for logging in. To thank you for your servers. I am Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Follow me at Nick Way on Twitter and, you know, stop by blogs.relativeprogress.com and get to see what else I'm up to. So, later, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) 